We are in a series on Matthew's gospel. Uh, we're nearly through the right through the middle. Uh, we're doing well. Uh, I've been loving uh, studying Matthew's gospel. I actually I'm reading it, rereading it again in my Bible reading plan for the year. And so it's kind of fun to rehash all the lessons we've already had. For the, this morning's reading, Bajoy is going to read Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 to 36 for us. Uh, that's Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Uh, 36 uh, and we we use the esv bible if you're tuning in and you're not used to the translation we're using it's for the esv um matthew 14 22 to 36 immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds and after he had dismissed the crowds he went up on the mountain by himself to pray When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land. Beaten by the waves, the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith. Why do you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Thank you, brother. Well done. Let's pray. Our God and Father, may you bless the preaching of your holy word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's amazing how quickly our peace joy and confidence can dissolve into thin air we're confronted with a sudden change in circumstance you're having a lovely day uh, enjoying yourself uh, you know relaxing uh, enjoying the benefits of a good coffee or watching some great olympics when suddenly you get a text message come through hey can we chat about something and you reply sure what's up and then the dreaded dot, 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 if you have iMessage, or perhaps it's on WhatsApp and it says, so-and-so is typing. And you think, "Uh uh-oh, and then it keeps going. And no text comes through, but you can see they're typing or you can see the dot, dot, dot. Then you see it stop and start again. Stop and start again. You go, oh, no, this is not going to be good because they are trying to phrase this perfectly. And you start thinking, or if you me, you start to panic, 
uh, fear sets in, dread sets in. You think, oh, no, what have I done? What's gone wrong? Peace dissolved. Joy dissolved. Confidence dissolved. Or perhaps you get a call from your doctor, uh, just from the receptionist. Those routine blood samples that you got done last week. And the receptionist says, oh, there's something in your samples. You better come in. And you ask, well, is it serious? She replies, it'd be better if the doctor spoke to you in person. Peace dissolved. Joy dissolved. Confidence dissolved. How quickly our peace, joy, and confidence can dissolve in the face of the winds and waves of life like a sun shower on a summer's day that evaporates almost instantly, or the seemingly massive mound of fairy floss that dissolves in, in, the, in the tongue of a greedy child. It is normal, natural, and to be expected that the circumstances and the winds of our life would quickly dissolve the confidence that we had previously. But the really important part is this. What's your next move? Where do you turn when the text comes or the results come through or whatever the myriad trials and tempests of life? Perhaps you turn inward. You may spiral into a whirlpool of fear and anxiety and a thousand possible disastrous worst-case scenarios. Now, there's some benefits. You may come up with a solution when you, you think about everything and, and you fear and you might actually figure it out. Or you may just worry yourself sick and make it worse. Or maybe you turn inward, but instead of worrying, you puff your chest and resolve with bravado, I can meet this challenge. And feigning confidence can, for a time, get you through. But the challenge may be too great and you may be left flat on the floor. So you might turn inward, or for some of us, you may turn outward. Uh, the trials and circumstance and the winds and the waves come, and your instinctive reaction is you go to friends and to family for support or reassurance. You quickly text out, you ask for help, you go to them, you, you, you bemoan your problems. And that, that might be good. They may be able to give you comfort and support and help. Or they may let you down, prove inadequate, or actually send you on the wrong path. We may turn inward, we may turn outward, and both have their pros and cons. But when the winds and waves of life come, our passage today teaches us that there is another solution, a superior solution to where we are to turn. And our passage teaches us this. The only safe way, the only safe way to weather the winds and waves of life is to focus fully on Jesus. The only safe way, ultimately, to weather the winds and waves of life is to focus fully on Jesus. Three points to unpack this experience and this passage that we saw today there's one kind of main idea and then uh, two kind of points of application but here are the three points divine deliverance point number one point number two faltering 
faith. And point number three, dealing with doubt. So let's jump into point number one, divine deliverance. Last week, we saw that Jesus had found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been murdered and that he sought a desolate place to um, spend time alone with the Lord in prayer, uh, to commune with his father, which is ruined by the crowds who follow him on foot as he travels on boat. And they arrive and are desperate and needy. And what was his response when the crowds came? It was compassion. He cared for them. He fed them. He healed them. And it's an incredible supernatural miracle that demonstrates that Jesus is not just a mere man or a mere teacher. He is God himself. Like God feeding Israel manna in the desert, Jesus can feed his people and care for his people. But now, as we heard in the reading, Jesus wants to get back to that time of prayer. And so, as the text says, immediately he sent the disciples away um, and then he dismisses the crowds. And I love, I love that, you know, this kind of, okay, my work is done. Now I'm going to get back to time with the Lord in prayer. And this is what happens in verse 23. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. He wants to be alone with God. He probably doesn't come with a shopping list of petitions, but he just wants to be with him, relate with him talk with him. You know, half of prayer is is actually just spending time with the Lord, not necessarily asking him for things, but talking to him and having a relationship with him. And Jesus loves spending time with the Father. And it seems like Jesus is praying like this for hours. I mean, the text says that it was evening when he sent them away. And the text says that it was the third watch in the night by the time he came to the disciples, which is roughly about 3 to 6 a.m. So think, he's he's praying alone, 8 p.m. to, say, 4 a.m. And as he's looking out upon, you know, the Lake Galilee, he sees, I don't know how he sees them, supernaturally or whatever, the disciples who were meant to have already made it to their location, but they are battling. They are beleaguered by the wind and the waves. And as an aside, I love how faithful they've been. Like Jesus told them to go somewhere and they're like, well, we're just going to keep rowing until we get there. And they've been going for six to nine hours of faithful, hard rowing. And again, Jesus, in his care for them, goes out to them. And he goes out to not only deliver them, but also to teach them a very important lesson, to reveal part of who he is. And notably, he comes to them on the water, uh, which, you know, if you've read this story, you've probably seen a lot of times you just think, oh, yeah, Jesus walks on water. But, yeah, this is in the middle of a storm and Jesus is walking out into the ocean. And we ought not to minimize the incredible nature of that miracle. And in this story, there's a very significant moment. And it's really the main point of this passage to highlight another picture of who Jesus is. And here, Matthew and Jesus wants to reveal Jesus's identity in two ways, in what he does and in what he says, in what he does and what he says. Look at verse 25. In the fourth watch of the night, he, that is Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. 
Now, if you're a skeptical person, I know this is a hard one, but just enter the story here. How do the disciples respond? Well, verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. The disciples see Jesus appear on the water walking, and I cannot imagine, and perhaps you can't either, what they were thinking. I mean, we know that they think he's a ghost. Perhaps they believe that the the, the sea was where the evil spirits lived and maybe a spirit was coming to spook them, but they are freaking out because their teacher or someone who looks like their teacher is in the middle of this storm with them. As they're trying to row and row and row, there's Jesus standing on waves. And here we see that Jesus reveals part of who he is by what he does. By walking on water, Jesus is actually revealing his divine identity. In the Old Testament, the ability to walk and control water is something attributed to God alone. Job in chapter uh, chapter 9, verse 8, he says of God, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Think of how pathetic we are against water and waves. It just like it crashes through and destroys us and destroys homes and boats. That's the power of the sea. But God tramples on top of the waves. Psalm 77 says this, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. And so by walking on water, Jesus isn't just doing a cool party trick and being like, hey, you know, getting a gold medal in the surfing, warming up. This is Jesus displaying his divinity. He is the one who can walk on water like the God of the Old Testament. But then the ghost speaks and Jesus reveals who he is in what he says. Verse 27. But immediately, and I love that. It's actually repeated a lot in this text. Uh, He doesn't hesitate, but he reassures the disciples quickly and speaks. Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. When Jesus says take heart, he means be strong. Have courage, have resolve within yourself. Why? Well, he says, it is I. In the Greek, it reads like this, I am. Take heart, I am. And in here, Jesus is in a subtle way, and maybe in the wind and the waves, the disciples wouldn't have picked this reference But for us now, looking back on it, we see that Jesus is actually revealing himself to be the very sovereign Yahweh, the the covenant God of the Old Testament. That phrase, I am, comes from Exodus chapter 3, where God spoke to Moses in the burning bush. And Moses said, who should I say sent me? And God replies, the I am sent you. I am who I am. I am eternal. I'm self-existent. I create all things. I do all things for my glory. And so when Jesus wants to reveal his identity, that he's not a ghost, that he's not some apparition, and that they can have courage, he says, I am. 
And therefore, he commands to his disciples, in light of who he is, do not be afraid. The I am is with you, which is a common uh, repeated phrase throughout the Old Testament. Because I am with you, do not be afraid. And so Jesus in this story, and this is really the main point of it, reveals his identity in what he says and in what he does. It's a clear and unmistakable picture of Jesus's divine identity. It's probably the clearest in all of Matthew's gospel that he's saying Jesus is God, not just a teacher, not just a healer. He is the I am of the Old Testament, the sovereign one, the one who's in control, who walks on water, makes the path through the sea, tramples upon it to deliver his people. He's the bread maker and the water walker. He's the divine deliverer. And this is how the disciples interpret it also. Um, If you look at the end of our little kind of section in verse 32 and 33, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, another miracle, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. The disciples' response once Jesus is there is to fall on their knees and declare, You are the divine one. You are the son of God. You are incredibly powerful. And, you know, they've moved on from when Jesus calmed the storm and they said, who is this man? Now they're saying, you are the son of God. No doubt they probably didn't fully understand what they were saying, but their reaction is to worship him. Their reaction is to fall on their knees in the presence of this divine being. So last week, We saw Jesus feed the 5,000 and heal them. And we saw that we're meant to run to him because he cares for his people. This week, we see his divine power to deliver his people. And therefore, the application is to trust in him, to depend upon him. Jesus' words are a command to us. Take heart. Have courage. Do not be afraid because I am with you. And so we have the main thrust of this passage. If we only had one point in the sermon, it would just be this. Because of who Jesus is, we can and should trust him. Because of who Jesus is, the divine, sovereign, I am, the son of God, the truly eternal, almighty, powerful one, we can and should trust him we can we can actually trust him because he is that one it's not a leap in the dark it's not just uh, you know putting your faith blind faith it's not blind faith we can actually trust him because of who he is and we should trust him because he calls us to so friends the only safe way to weather the winds and waves of our life is to focus fully on jesus And, you know, we could be done there. And that's a good, you know, Anglican sermon. (laughs) One point, one message, done. But really, this is easier said than done, right? It's all well and good to affirm Jesus. I believe Jesus is God and to say, I trust him. But how does our faith go when we are in the storm? It's easy from the safe shorelines 
But Matthew now wants to teach us a lesson on following Jesus in the storms of life through a picture of the faltering faith of Peter. So point number one was divine deliverance. Point number two, faltering faith, a lesson on discipleship. This story is only in Matthew's gospel, and Matthew loves to teach uh, his church and us about what it means to be followers of Jesus, and, and he includes all these extra lessons on discipleship. And the story of Peter walking on water is one of those lessons. It's a real account of what Peter actually did, but it has application to your life and to my life. Let's read verse 28 and following. After Jesus says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? An incredible story. Peter sees Jesus, and we're not entirely sure why his, his instinct is to go, well, command me to come to you. Uh, we don't know. Uh, but nonetheless, Jesus says come and, and commands him to come out. And so he does. He bravely gets down. Um, they're probably in, I don't know, some kind of decent fishing boat. Um, and he climbs down. I don't know what Peter was thinking as he lowered himself onto the waves that they've just been rowing against for nine hours. And he begins to walk upon the water. Uh, it's a gold medal effort for Peter. That's an incredible amount of faith. <laughs> I, don't, I think all of us most likely would still be on the boat. But Peter, um, often we can look at him and go, oh, he had such little faith. <laughs> he gets on water and walks on water. So we, we've got to look and say, okay, that's an incredible amount of faith to begin with. But then, and this is where we would enter the story, where I would at least, he loses focus. He stops looking at Jesus and he looks around. He sees the wind stinging him, the waves rising around him, <clears throat> and his confidence dissolves. His confidence evaporates. Again, though, we see faltering faith. As he begins to sink, what is Peter's instinct? He doesn't try and swim. <laughs> he doesn't call out to the disciples, hey, pull me in. What's his instinct? Lord, save me. He gets that right. He calls to Jesus. Though his fear has dissolved, uh, his fear has dissolved his confidence it's not fully dissolved his faith. He knows that Jesus is the only one that can truly rescue him. And so what does Jesus do? Again, that word, immediately 
he reaches out his hand and pulls him out of the water. But that's not all that Jesus does. Notice what Jesus says to Peter in the wake of his faltering faith. Verse 30 and 31 again. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. And then look what Jesus says to him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Jesus saves Peter, but then he chastises and questions him. At first glance, you might think, oh, this appears a bit cutting, a bit harsh, a bit full on, but it's not. This is Jesus pastoring Peter. He wants to care for Peter's soul. He wants to train Peter to help him. And in turn, he wants to help us and deliver us from sinking in our doubts and in the falterings of our faith. Why did you doubt? Jesus asks Peter. It's a searching question. And it's one worth asking. Obviously, it had something to do with the wind and the waves. But what was going on deeper for Peter? Why did Peter begin with trusting and end in sinking? The wind and the waves presumably didn't get any bigger. His buoyancy, natural buoyancy, didn't change. I presume that Peter still was on top of the water. So why did he waver well the text tells us his focus shifted his focus was split between jesus and the weather the reason why peter began to sink was his focus was divided commentator donald hagner says this Peter's lack of faith is caused by a failure of concentration. He is distracted by the fierce wind. His mind became more affected by the circumstances than by faith in the power of Jesus. And once again, he became filled with fear. His failure of faith, his faith faltered because his focus shifted. His concentration was split and he was distracted from looking at Jesus. And isn't that the same for you and I, as I talked about at the beginning of the sermon? We can be having, we can even be just coming out of a quiet time where we've spent time with the Lord and treasuring his promises and worshiping him and trusting in him. And then so suddenly, some circumstance, some situation prompts us to dissolve into fear and lack of faith. For some of us, it might be a health scare, a worry about what's going to happen to your body. For some of us, it's a sin we commit 
And uh, suddenly we, we, we're not even sure if we're a Christian anymore. For others, we see the pain and suffering of others and we think, oh, is God really good? Is he really there? Even for me this week, I, um, I decided I would go and get the, the vaccine and so I got the AstraZeneca vaccine. But as I called the doctor's surgery to, to book it in, I, I didn't really prepare my heart. I just was like, oh, I'll just book in a vaccine. I've done that before for other things. But as they were asking me which vaccine I wanted and I had to say uh, I want the AstraZeneca, I suddenly had this like fear kind of come over me. Like, what if I'm one of those statistics? What if I end up with the blood clots? What if I end up like that lady on life support? Like, do I really want this vaccine? And I suddenly became like, really, I was quite anxious. I even texted uh, Richie, Arby and Henry. I was like, I'm feeling really anxious about taking this vaccine. And the reason why I was so anxious is because I'd lost focus. I'd shifted my gaze and my concentration from my sovereign God who's in control of all things. And instead, I was suddenly consumed with, will I be okay? Will I be able to, you know, will I be sick? Will I be hurt? Will I not be able to provide for my family? So quickly, our hearts can be distracted and lose focus. We can think, why, oh Lord, are you doing this? Or how long, oh Lord, will this go on? Or God, are you able? Are you good? Or for some of us, we lose so much focus that when the wind and waves of life come, we don't even have doubts about God. He's just totally out of the picture. And it is very much an afterthought. So Jesus' question, why did you doubt? Though looks harsh, is actually pastoral. It's aimed to help us and help Peter. There's a great book called God in the Dark by Os Guinness where he looks at doubt and how doubt um, operates in the Christian's life. And it's a really wonderful book. And if you are someone that struggles with doubts and it's a recurrent theme, I highly recommend the book. It's a very wise treatment of the topic, God in the Dark. Os Guinness says this, doubt is not always fatal, but it is always serious. Doubt is not always fatal, but it is always serious. Why is that the case? Well, he goes on to say, the heart of doubt is a divided heart. So doubt is a natural part of the Christian life. To have faith is to doubt. Uh, it's, it's embedded within and we, we can't avoid it. But our doubts are serious because they reveal something about us, a divided heart. That's why Jesus went after Peter, because his focus was shifted. His heart was divided. When we think about doubt, though, we need to understand what it really is. To have faith is to have one mind about something, to believe. To have unbelief is also to have one mind about something, to not believe in that thing. To have doubt is to have two minds, to be thinking, is it this or is it that? Like standing on two boats in water, 
or two surfboards, your legs will suddenly start to go outwards. So doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's not, do you believe or do you doubt? It, the unbelief is the opposite of belief. But doubt is not being on either side. Os Guinness says it like this. For the Christian, doubt is not the same as unbelief, but neither is it divorced from it. And this is why it's so serious. Continued doubt loosens the believer's hold on the resources and privileges of faith and is the prelude to the disasters of unbelief. So doubt is never treated as trivial. Let me read that again. Doubt is not the same as unbelief, neither is it divorced from it. Continued doubt loosens the believer's hold on the resources and privileges of faith and is the prelude to the disasters of unbelief. That's why Jesus asked this question. Because Peter's doubt and your and my doubt, when we lose focus and we divide our heart, loosens our hold on the privileges and resources of our faith. And we begin to sink, don't we? The joy of having a divine and sovereign God who works all things together for our good dissolves and we start to go under. The joy and privilege of knowing that God loves us and cares for us and is in um, is on our side and in our corner. That dissolves and loosens. And suddenly we don't have that confidence. We don't have that peace and we don't have that joy anymore. Doubting about whether or not you should have another coffee or a piece of cake is relatively inconsequential. Doubting whether Jesus is good and true and in control and for you and trustworthy can potentially be fatal. And therefore, it is crucial that we deal with our doubt. It's crucial that we deal with our doubts so that we don't sink in the winds and waves of life. And that leads us to point number three, dealing with doubt. So point number one, divine deliverance. We saw that Jesus is the son of God. Therefore, we can and should trust him. Point number two, we are like Peter. We falter in our faith. At some points we cry out and we step on water. At other times we sink. So how do we deal with our divided heart? How do we help our minds not to be stuck in, in one, in, between the two, unbelief or belief? How do we go towards faith? Well, and that's the point of this section here. And I want to just begin by saying this. Make no mistake, we all need to learn this lesson. You may be on the calm waters right now. You may be on the shoreline, not experiencing many winds or waves in your life. But be assured of this, friend and Christian, Jesus will send storms your way. Remember, Jesus sent the disciples onto the lake. And then when the wind started picking up, he left them there for nine hours. This isn't sort of a one in a million for the persecuted Christian over in another country type of message. This is for all of us. And therefore, we need to learn the lesson of focusing fully 
on Jesus for ourselves. And so how do we do this practically? How do we get into one mind with Christ? Well, a few suggestions for us today to help us. Number one, I believe that studying the nature and character of God emboldens us and helps us to trust him when the storm and the wind and the wave comes into our life. In the walking on the water, Jesus was putting on display who he really is so that the disciples can actually trust him. It's a warranted belief. It's, it's faith in an object that can actually hold them in the middle of a storm. The picture Jesus had um, was to embolden them. The image of him walking on water was to strengthen their resolve. And so we too need pictures. We need ideas. We need data so that when we are in the wind and the wave and it picks up and oh, suddenly we start to panic, when we think, can God get me through this, the definition and nature and character of God that we have come to mind is the true God of the Bible. One that we go, oh, yeah, okay. He is sovereign. I know that. He is in control of all things. Nothing escapes his gaze. He's, he's not surprised by anything. Okay. He is good. He works all things together for my good. He demonstrated his love for me by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. So I know that none of this that is coming against me is a result of punishment towards me. It's part of my discipline and training as a believer. We need this knowledge. We need this character and doctrine of God to give us ballast in our storms. We need these images so that when the storm comes, we think of God as our refuge and our strength, our rock and our fortress, as Matthew so beautifully shared during our singing time in Psalm 62, 63 rather. So firstly, we need to study the nature and character of God. Secondly, one, another way which I think will help us when the winds and waves come is if we do a bit of practice beforehand. So practical application number one, study the nature and character of God. Practical application number two, put faith into practice. I want to encourage you, friends, to take active risks for the Lord. And in those active risks for the Lord, have an active focus on Jesus in the middle of the risk so that you can train yourself to have an instinctive reaction to focus on Jesus when the unexpected comes. So take an expected risk. That means step out in faith to do something that you wouldn't normally do that requires God to pull through. Otherwise, it's going to fall apart. For some of us, it might mean uh, texting that person who's not yet a believer and just beginning in a conversation. It might mean actually saying, hey, has anyone ever shared the gospel with you? Can I tell you about Jesus and what I believe? Would you like to do Christianity Explored with me or Alpha with me? Do you want to join our Zoom service this week? Um, I think it's really encouraging and it helps me get through the lockdown. Maybe it'll help you. Taking an active risk and actively practicing putting your focus on Jesus before, during, and after the risk can bolster our faith and train us so that when the unexpected comes, perhaps it's an active risk of or an active step of faith in loving and caring for people in the church. Maybe there's someone you know that's 
veering or being distracted or drifting away, and you're actually worried that they might walk away from the Lord or that there's some sin in their life which might disrupt or destroy them. So you go, okay, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to step out in faith. So you prepare yourself. You think, okay, Lord, would you be with me? Would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you give me the words? Would you give me the verses? Then you reach out to that person. And as you're doing it, you're praying, Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Okay, Lord, help me. Okay, the text line is coming up. So-and-so is typing back. Help me, Lord. Oh, why did I do this? Okay, I trust you. I trust you. It's that constant um, active focus because you've chosen to take a risk and involve him in the process. Os Guinness says this helpfully. Doubt is therefore tackled primarily at the point of action and not solely at the point of reflection. It's just as matter, much a matter of what we do as of what we know. The way we overcome doubt is not necessarily by deep intellectual reflection and figuring it out philosophically. It's by doing it. It's by getting from the middle and putting our foot into one camp. And so, friends, can I encourage you? Put your faith into practice so that when the unexpected comes, you've already practiced what it looks like to focus on Jesus in the middle of scary times. Step out on that water, but choose to do it, and then you'll learn the lesson. And finally, finally, so we have study the nature and character of God, put faith into practice. And finally, another one I would say is uh, practice it in prayer. Well, bring your doubts to God in prayer. Doubt, by its very nature, makes us want to stay in the middle and not make a decision one way or another. But Jesus calls us to focus on him. He called Peter to come to him. And Peter only made it halfway because of his doubts. But in Peter's faltering faith, he did cry out, Lord, save me. And if you are just gripped with fear, gripped with anxiety, gripped with unknowing of like, oh, is God there? Does he love me? How long will it go? Is he really good? If you've got all these fears and things swirling around, then call out like Peter did, Lord, save me. Pray to him. Ask for his help. If you read Psalm 69, the psalmist um, models this for us, and it really reflects our passage. So I'll just read some selections from Psalm 69, a prayer you could pray. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I've come into deep waters and the floods sweep over me. I'm weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Let not the floods sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Use the Psalms as a formation of how to bring yourself and your doubts to the Lord. So study the nature and character of God. Put faith into practice by actively focusing on him and go to him in prayer. Don't stay sinking, cry out like Peter did. And the result, well, I said here in my notes, we can sing with Taya. Um, and if you know that very, very, very famous Hillsong song, Oceans, the result of focusing on Jesus 
is that we can sing and pray a prayer like this. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Saviour. So I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours and you are mine. Friends, do you want to have that confidence? Do you want to be able to have that safety and security? The only way to weather the winds and waves of life, ultimately the only way that works, is to focus fully on Jesus. The only way to weather the winds and waves of life is to focus fully on Jesus in the midst of the storm. We're seeing divine deliverance. Jesus can save and calls us to trust in him. We've seen that we can be like Peter, faltering in our faith, one step forward, one step back. And we've seen that God wants us to deal with our doubts. He doesn't want us to leave us there. He wants to move toward him and not just be of little faith, but be of great faith so that we can rest in him, so that we can enjoy all the privileges of our salvation and our faith. And so, friends, focus fully on Jesus as the winds and the waves of life rock around you. Let me pray for us. God, I pray and ask that you would help me. I need this, Lord, and my friends and all those listening in. Lord, would you help us to focus on you, to keep our eyes fixed upon your son who has demonstrated his love for us by laying down his life as the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Help us to trust him. Help us to go to him. Help us to know him and help us to focus on him no matter the circumstance that surrounds us. Lord, if any of us are feeling particularly doubtful and fearful and gripped by depression and fear and anxiety and being in two minds and having a divided heart. Lord, I ask that you would reveal yourself to them even now, even as we sing, would they see you and your power and your majesty and your divinity and your sovereignty and your goodness and your kindness and your providential care? And would they focus on you as the wind and the waves sting their face? Would they experience the rest that only you can bring? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.